0: Hubris, Round 7, Group 1. This piece is titled, Let Me Tell You a Story. Content warnings include memory loss, unreality, manipulation, mild body horror, fight noises, and possession.
1: Thanks for coming with me on this trip, Whitney.
2: Of course, babe. I've always wanted to come to Egypt. And you're always raving about this friend of yours from grad school. I'm excited to meet him.
1: He's excited to meet you, too. Said he was looking forward to getting an anthropologist's thought on some of his theories about this thing.
2: It's too bad he couldn't make it to the wedding last year, though.
1: Yeah, he's had his poor head stuck in this research for almost two years now. I was surprised when his number popped up on my phone. He's been pretty off-grid for a good few months.
2: I'm still not sure he hasn't been wasting his time out here. That side? What's that? The radio. I think I heard it cut out. Just a sec.
0: This whole area is a bit of a dead zone. I wouldn't worry. Well, shit, if it isn't Dr. Trevor
1: Collins himself. In the flesh. Bring it in.
2: Hey, Mike, I can't get this to work. Can you come take a look to see if I'm missing something?
0: Radios are pretty unreliable out here. Because of all the dust storms, this area in particular likes to mess with communication equipment. Phil? I go by Trevor now. Do you still go by... Winnie? Wait, your name used to be Phil? How come you know about this? We went to high school together. Wow.
1: That is not what I thought you meant when you said you grew up next to Phil Collins.
0: Yeah, I had to change my name to escape from getting someone else's fan mail. Look, Michael, you remember when I told you I had an old friend? Got me kicked out of college. You did it to yourself. I had to apply to four different schools and move across the country before I found a place that let me finish my degree. I had to change my name to get published because you ruined my reputation.
2: Wait,
1: Trevor is the one who damaged all those artifacts you told me about.
2: He's always been self-centered, even as a kid.
1: Well... I guess this means the introductions aren't necessary.
2: Listen, do you have any comms equipment that actually works out here? We were supposed to contact the university once we found you.
0: No, I don't appreciate distractions while I'm working. I go into the city once a week to upload my reports.
2: Still playing Indiana Jones, then? I'd love a
1: drink. Let's go get settled and we can find a way to contact the university in the morning.
2: No, I really want to find an area with reception. I can take the RV and find you again once I send a message off.
0: You shouldn't wander after dark here. There have been a lot of dust storms recently, and if you get turned around, we won't be able to find you until morning. Besides, it might be out here.
2: Have you seen it? You know he wouldn't remember if he had. And that thing probably doesn't actually exist.
0: If you'd seen what I have since I got here might think differently. I'll tell you all about my experiences and the research I've been conducting once we get back to the camp. Great!
2: Looking forward to it.
1: Sweet digs.
2: This is pretty neat. Most of my research sites are more bones than books. Looks like you might have found your Library of Alexandria after all.
0: That always was the difference between us, Whitney. You like to dig in the dirt and lift with your back. I prefer to dig through the minds of philosophers and lift their stories out of the tombs. So, what have you discovered
1: about this monster?
0: Michael, do you remember when I was researching my postdoctorate and kept finding dead-end references? Whole periods of lost information? Yeah, you were convinced that this monster had something to do with it. There's a pattern. All throughout history, in different times, across different cultures and places, something indescribable popping up where large stores of information are amassed.
2: A description of something indescribable? Well, You
0: study cultures and their histories. Surely you've come across this phenomenon, too.
2: Sure. Plenty of cultures have stories about monsters and demons, but couldn't you just chuck that out to the mythology of humanity? Hell, these sorts of stories persist even today. A similarly described monster popping up in different places doesn't mean it's the same monster. Culture borrowing has carried myths and legends far and wide for centuries. Yes,
0: but how many? civilizations spread across the continents have these similar descriptions of a monster that can't be described.
2: Well, all of them. That's humanity. We make up stories about the world around us. But for all of them
0: to have the same lack of description, it speaks to a degree of commonality that just shouldn't be possible across this wide a stretch of time and space. It's not just humanity. It's other. You're telling me that a monster that cropped up in China 3,000 years ago, then again in Egypt 1,000 years later, in North America 200 years ago, and in some Bronze Age writings, has no root in reality? The
2: same exact description
0: of a creature that defies description?
2: I'm still missing what you're getting at.
0: (sighs) Okay. Let me tell you a story. Please, regale us. This is one of those stories of a monster only described by its lack thereof. In 14th century writings, I've found there is a discussion of a creature that moved through the shadows that nobody could see. It would travel on the wind and through the rustling of leaves, and all they knew, all everyone knew was to stay away from it. Nobody dared to confront it. They all just hoped that if they left it alone, it would disappear. But one man was able to trap it and question it. A priest was able to subdue the monster within a ring of gunpowder and tried to learn about its origin before his plan went awry. He and his son both had to face the consequences. Foul
1: demon. I come before you as a disciple of the one true God, demanding you yield or be cast into exile in the depths of hell. Release this body, wicked demon.
0: Beloved, you're scaring me. Please, let's talk about this sensibly. Enough.
1: You took my wife from me years ago. I saw her turn into a shell of herself and slowly fade from this world. I will not let you take another.
2: Father, what are you doing? That's Mother.
0: Thomas. Thomas. Please, your father is suffering great anguish and was driven hysterical. You must save me. Stand back,
1: boy. This is not your mother, but a foul demon.
2: You can't do this!
1: I must.
2: No! <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thomas, what have you done?
0: <laughs> ah! Ah! According to an account by the priest's friend from a nearby village, the priest had been obsessed with finding out the identity of the monster who he insisted took his wife, even though she was often seen still living in their shared home. One day, he and his son went into the forest and came back changed men, husks of themselves. His poor wife took care of them well into old age, but they were never the same. Others in the village succumbed to the same affliction, but none could explain why or how. The ill could not shed any light on the matter either as their memories began fragmenting. It was anybody's guess what or who they might remember from moment to moment. It was only upon the priest's death that his friend found this account of what had happened that day in the woods tucked into the old priest's robes.
2: If all of this is true, then how is it possible that the wife took care of her husband and son after the encounter? Shouldn't she have also turned into a husk? The wife is the first one taken,
1: right? Could it be possible that the monster can anchor itself in a host while feeding off the memories and life force of others? In essence, this is my current
2: theory. Then how is it that this monster hasn't destroyed all of humanity yet? Why does it disappear only to reappear hundreds of years later?
0: My hypothesis is that it can only survive until its host is dead. Then it goes into hibernation until it finds another victim.
2: If that was the case, why doesn't this thing just move into a large city? It would have a memory buffet in a place like New York or London.
0: Don't give it any ideas.
2: Maybe there's a reason for this behavior.
1: It might not be strong enough to affect that many people.
0: A limit to its power, you mean?
1: More like a limit to its ability to influence a shifting consciousness, like the human hive mind. It can be unpredictable, and the creature might not be able to control the perceptions of so many subjective realities at once. If we're working from a theory of cryptamnesia, where NGC's memory loss and confusion in its victims in order to gain power from them, it might prefer to have a smaller food source. Especially since it seems being indetectable as part of its method. One slip-up in New York City, and you're on the front page of every newspaper in the world.
2: You mean like an inherent place for it in the food chain? Like a wolf's main food source is deer? It isn't going to be able to survive on field mice, but a moose could just as easily kill it as feed it.
1: Exactly.
0: I'm still missing what you're getting at.
1: Okay, let me tell you a story. Please, regale us. I heard about this event in grad school. The official word was mass hysteria, but now that I'm thinking about it, the physical and mental symptoms line up with what you described in the priest's story. About 30 years ago, Hong Kong was struck by a mysterious illness that started seemingly overnight and almost destroyed an entire quadrant of the city. Those affected reported memory loss, varying degrees of ashen skin, and unexpected weight loss. The event eventually reached a fever pitch. Riots broke out, seemingly targeting one person.
2: This one! He went this way!
1: We've got to find him before he gets away again.
2: Or manages to take any more memories from us. I think I saw him go this way. It's you. What? No, it...
0: You can't... Of course it's not me, don't you remember? I remember it's
2: you. Are you sure? I don't remember this guy. It's him, I'm sure. He came to the college and just a few weeks later this epidemic broke out. He is the monster.
0: You've got it wrong! I've been hiding here, trying to stay away
2: from you people, trying to stay sane! Maybe it's not him. No! We have to keep thinking, keep remembering what he looks like. If you falter, then I might too. We have to stop this. Get him!
1: Simultaneous reports of the people regaining themselves came in almost immediately after that person's death. Events like that often do end spontaneously, but the timing and circumstance of that one person's death against the mass recovery of so many people certainly points to something more supernatural. Do you think you get it, Trevor? The monster can only control a certain number of people because of the collective
0: willpower of its victims. I suppose it makes sense. But I still can't figure out what happens to the monster when it loses its host. We can assume it doesn't die. A series of monsters that act in this exact same way are even more unlikely.
2: And what's it after? It keeps fitting on people's memories, but what is it gaining? Is it after the people themselves? Doesn't it just
1: collect the memories? Isn't that its source of food and power?
0: Not necessarily. It could simply be after knowledge. Knowledge? Memories are how we store knowledge and experience, so maybe it needs people's memories to access the knowledge in them.
2: And maybe without a constant stream of knowledge, it gets weaker. Maybe it is possible to fight this thing by cutting off its supply. Say it needs knowledge to survive. What would happen if it didn't have any knowledge, memories, to feed off of? Would it fade away for good? And maybe that's why it needs to leech memories from so many people, preparing itself to hibernate once it loses its host. I'm
1: still missing what you're getting at.
2: (sighs) Okay, let me tell you a story.
0: Please, regale us.
2: The library. Here in... God, I can't remember.
0: Alexandria?
2: Right. It was the world's epicenter of knowledge. Something like that isn't just accidentally destroyed. You're telling me that that great Roman general and emperor...
0: Julius Caesar.
2: Came to Egypt, was worried that the enemy would come by sea, and didn't think about the risk first? Something just doesn't seem right about it. That doesn't seem like the same man. Hail Caesar!
1: Our enemies are close behind. We must burn the docks to prevent them from reaching us here. Sir? Set the docks ablaze. Make sure that nobody can reach Egypt by sea.
0: The library. The blaze cannot reach the library.
1: What's wrong with you, lad?
2: But what about the library? The blaze would put the city at risk.
1: Let it burn, if it must. Are you mad?
2: The library contains information I require. Are you certain? There is knowledge there that we may never be able to recover. We hold the keys to the chest of knowledge. But the treasure is not for everyone. If we cannot
1: protect it, we must destroy it. Yes, my liege. (sighs)
2: I'm surprised I didn't remember sooner, but this all makes sense. Some reports talk about how Caesar was ill the day he escaped to Egypt. Those reports say his eyes were sunken, his skin was pale, and he would often forget about his political duties while in the public office of Caesar. Maybe Caesar's generals lost confidence in him after the burning of the library. This creature led Caesar to Egypt to gain more knowledge, and Caesar made his last stand. Maybe Caesar's counselors knew something about his behavior was off, but after the library burned, he fully lost their loyalty.
0: Which would explain why Brutus wanted Caesar dead and plotted to kill him.
2: Which inevitably triggered the fall of the Roman Empire and the eventual end of one of the greatest eras of world conquest and domination. I'm still missing what you're getting at It's simple The monster wants knowledge But it needs a human host to acquire it It's right in front of your Eyes Shit, Michael, hon What's up with your Uh, eyes? What? What are you talking about? Trevor, why is Michael so pale? He wasn't this pale when we got here And his eyes They've never been cold like that He looks... sick.
0: You two just flew halfway around the world, and now we've been up half the night telling stories. He's probably just tired, you know?
2: Oh, I know, right? Michael, we have to get out of here. I don't think it's safe here.
1: I'm... still missing what you're getting at. Okay,
0: let me tell you... No!
2: Look, it's been real, Trevor. I hope you get what you came here for. But Michael and I really need to get out of here. We'll go back to the RV and in the morning we can go back to the city. Whitney,
0: at this time of night you might not even be able to find the RV. In these storms you can barely see your hand in front of your face. And if the monster is attracted to knowledge, and if it is out there.
2: I think we'll take our chances with the dust storms.
0: What do you mean?
2: I don't think the monster is out there.
0: I'm still missing what you're getting at.
2: Whitney, let me
1: tell you a story.
2: Please, regale me.
0: This episode was written by Ken Aponacorly and Milo Jordan Baum and edited by Nico Goldstein. It was directed by Minali Venkatesh with dialogue, editing, and sound design by Ted Hevner. The transcript was done by Kylan. The production of this episode was coordinated by Milo Jordan Baum. Michael Fisher, Priest, Rioter 2, and Julius Caesar were played by Emmett Moon, Whitney Jones-Fisher, Thomas, Rioter 1 and Caesar's General were played by Sophie Borhon. Trevor Collins, Priest's Wife, Rioter 3 and The Whispering Monster were played by Milo Jordan Baum.